You're listening to the Florida Bar Podcast, brought to you by the Florida Bar's Practice Resource Center, Legal Fuel, produced by the broadcast professionals of the Florida Bar. Florida Bar podcast brought to you by Legal Fuel, the practice resource center of the Florida Bar. We're so glad you're joining us. This is Christine Bilbury. I'm a senior practice management advisor at the Bar and one of the hosts of the show, which I should note is being recorded from our home offices in Tallahassee, Florida. Hello, I'm Carla Eckhart. I'm a practice management advisor at the Florida Bar and a co-host of today's podcast. Our goal at the Practice Resource Center is to assist Florida attorneys with running the business side of their law practices. We focus on a different topic each month and carry the theme through our website with related tips, videos, and articles. So today we are discussing the working from home trend that many workers have been thrust into for the first time because of the pandemic. Telecommuting, as it is also known, has been around for a while, especially in the tech world, but current circumstances have set in motion what Wired Magazine calls an unprecedented experiment in remote work. The article references a survey from the Society for Human Resource Management in March that found that two-thirds of U.S. companies were taking steps to allow employees to work from home who don't normally do so. And joining us today to talk all things telecommuting is one of my very favorite judges, the Honorable Robert Hilliard. Judge Hilliard has been a Santa Rosa County Court Judge in the First Judicial Circuit since 2005. Prior to his election to the bench, he served as a Santa Rosa County Commissioner. He earned his Bachelor of Arts degree from Emory College, and after a successful career in the computer business, he went on to earn his J.D., from Georgia State University College of Law and was admitted to the Georgia and Florida Bars. He has served as president of the Santa Rosa County Chamber of Commerce and president of the Conference of County Court Judges of Florida. He is a member of the Florida Courts Technology Commission, where he serves as chair of the Access Governance Board and Compliance Committees. He is also a member of the Trial Court Budget Commission, where he serves on the Executive Committee. Welcome to the show, Judge Hilliard. Thank you, Christine. It is really a pleasure to be with you all. Thank you. So, Judge Hilliard, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your work in technology, both before and after you took the bench? It has been a pleasure for me to be Uh, associated with the advancement of technology in the legal profession here in the state of Florida for uh, many years now. And Florida has led the legal profession in the nation and the world in deploying technical solutions uh, to address the the changing world that we live in and the the challenges that we face with the increased use of the legal system and the dispersion of our our, uh, constituency, our, our people that that uh, used the legal system. As you know, uh, Florida uh, was one of the first uh, in the nation to bring public records online. And also we uh, led the way in developing judicial viewers and the Florida Courts Technology Commission has developed standards and practices and modalities for this. And uh, some time ago, we started this process of uh, remote work. And I'm glad that we did it so long ago because we have certainly been forced uh, to progress at a rapid pace given the the pandemic that has um, 
that has occurred. So for really uh, more than a decade now, ever since I first got involved with um, remote work and the fact that, you know, we deployed these judicial viewers and, and the fact that you could get to uh, records remotely, I have I have been saying something, and it is as true today as it was uh, more than 10 years ago. As we deployed this, I said, well, the good news is you can work from home. The bad news is you can work from home. <laughs> and here we find so many of us working from home and, and there are and now we're seeing a lot of attention paid to uh, how to how to best manage that home environment with all the distractions in the home environment, and how to make sure you get your work done and uh, and use these uh, uh, newer modalities that we're seeing in terms of uh, video conferencing and, and telephone conferences and everything else. So you, you just touched upon distractions and, and whatnot, and we're going to get into that. But I, I wanted to ask specifically, um, given these stay-at-home orders having sort of affected schools, businesses, and of course the courts, and we've all had to get very creative in how we continue our essential functions, um, what has been the impact on day-to-day -day operations of your court in particular? And if, and if any courts, you've heard of any you know specific impacts on courts across the state, maybe some have adapted better than others, you know, what, what's your take on that? Well, the, the most obvious thing is that there aren't very many people here anymore. Uh, if I look out the window, uh, the parking lot has a lot of empty spaces, mostly empty spaces. Uh, when I walk through the halls of the courthouse, uh, there are virtually no people there. Now, we do have some people coming in. Uh, for example, we're still doing arraignments, but we space people out. Many people come wearing a mask now, and um, and we're paying attention to that. So that has been the biggest effect, I think, is that we just are not seeing people. And when we do see them, it is a little different. And we have this constant reminder that we are living under different circumstances because uh, many of us are wearing masks or other personal protection equipment. Judge Hilliard, I know you were ahead of the curve with your technology background, um, and I've seen firsthand the video first appearances that you do from the courthouse there in Milton, but what are some of the other things that you had in place that helped you shift to the new normal, both at your home and at the courthouse? I think one of the most important things for judges has been the deployment of um, the uh, judicial management systems or judicial viewers where we can sign documents. We can, we can review and sign documents um, remotely. And this is something that we've been doing for some time now. And in fact, it's the access governance board that looks at um, this to make sure that it complies with the standards that have been uh, put in place and approved by the Florida Supreme court. And the fact that we were already doing this, and, and it was, uh, it was I won't say a painful transition, but um, you know, there were people who were resistant to, uh, to moving toward an online document system. But um, virtually the whole state now is working with online documents rather than paper documents. And had we still been working in a paper-based system when this uh, 
crisis hit, I don't believe we would have been able to transition to these video hearings and and remote appearances nearly as smoothly as we have been able to. And do you feel like you're as productive as you were before? And are you able to separate work and home? Like you, I believe you said that you're at the courthouse today. Are you doing some work from home uh, during this? Like, are you limiting the time you're at the courthouse now? It Yes, it, I am doing that. However, work from home is, is not a, a foreign concept, I think, for most of the thousand some odd Florida judges in in the state. Uh, it's something that we have done for some time now, and it was made easier with the uh, the deployment of the uh, judicial uh, management systems. And so, yes, but we are paying more attention to it now. Um, and there are I have seen in the the um, the media some. Um, tips uh, on how to manage working at home. Uh, those are helpful. Um, and uh, for some people, it is a different thing. Well, I think one thing that is certainly different is many of our team members uh, with the clerks of court and uh, probation people and uh, juvenile justice people, corrections people, some of them are, are working from home as well. And so we've had to get used to that new uh, normal of, of interacting with people who are not in the office anymore. Uh, there was uh, you know, a lot of what I did uh, prior to this was I would just walk down to the clerk's office and chat with the, uh, the deputy clerks about uh, issues. And now many of them are working from home. And so it's a, it's a, a phone call instead of a, a personal meeting. And I'm curious because um, so for years uh, you had basically a video link where someone that was, had been arrested and had to do a first appearance within 24 hours, whoever the judge was on call, um, even when everything was open, would go down to that, the video first appearance room. Are you having any um, video hearings where the um, attorneys are appearing by Zoom with you? Have you done that at your court? Because like, we've all read those stories about the judge in Florida that was complaining about the attorneys that were like in their pajamas. And, you know, one lady I think was like, propped up in her bed for the hearing. Have you done any hearings with attorneys by video? Yes. And in fact, uh, many uh, judges, lawyers, and litigants are uh, embracing this this uh, video appearance uh, concept. Uh, in fact, I know uh, in talking I talk, I'm in close contact with our uh, court technology officer here in the First Circuit, and I happen to know that yesterday we here in the First Circuit had 50 Zoom hearings with 500 total participants. Wow. And, um, yeah, that's a lot. And we have hearings with inmates at the jail. Those are going well using Zoom. Uh, drug court is working well with sometimes 50 or more participants on the call. Oh, my gosh. Family law is working well. Uh, juvenile is a heavy user of Zoom, mostly dependency, and the litigants are handling it well, too. They dial in with their iPhones on the couch. And you're right. I mean, the thing is, you have, you, in, in, when people come to the courthouse, they, they tend to understand that they're coming for something important and that they should dress 
appropriately. And, and maybe that's a little less so when you're sitting on the couch with your iPhone. But the the one area that that I can think of right off the top of my head that that is still evolving is presentation of evidence. And we're working uh-huh. yeah. through that with procedures. Like one of the things that the Florida Courts Technology Commission has, has been working with, with the ePortal Authority is uh, filing things through the ePortal before the hearing. So as we progress, new uh, customs and means will come into place where these things are handled. But um, the thing is, one thing, and I'm going to my... Uh, uh, participation as a member of the executive committee of the trial courts budget commission, we know that uh, the state is the state budget is going to be impacted by this. We see that coming, and uh, some of these processes save money, and so uh, I think that some of these will persist uh, through the attenuation of the crisis. So there's a lot of convenience and low cost that just can't be ignored for some case types. Absolutely. Christine mentioned, you know, attorneys appearing in their pajamas and whatnot. And and I'd like to point out that the Florida Bar's Henry Latimer Center for Professionalism has put together a guide, um, legal professionalism in the electronic age. And we will discuss this in a later segment. Um, But it, it goes over special considerations for attorneys and judges and, you know, a lot of them seem like common sense, um, you know, essentially how to behave professionally in this new virtual age. But what tips do you have that you have found work for you, uh, both when it comes to setting up a quality home office and then conducting uh, proceedings virtually? Well, one thing, you certainly need uh, bandwidth. Um, you need <laughs> to have a, an appropriate um, a connection. And it needs to be a stable connection. If your uh, connection is down, then you're not going to be productive. Um, I'd say that is uh, an overarching concern. And um, you need to have appropriate equipment. Uh, For example, my judicial assistant um, has been working from home. And one of the things that she is used to here in the office is a a dual monitor setup, and she didn't have that. She was working from a laptop at home, which is a lot different from working uh, on a desktop computer, and so uh, I was able to arrange to get her uh, an inexpensive uh, monitor to uh, supplement the laptop, and that makes her more productive. Mm -hmm. Um, We already mentioned distractions at home. This is something that people, I think, have to, uh, to deal with in their own individual ways and sometimes you can uh you can even work even with a distraction i remember i was on a zoom uh conference not too long ago and uh, looking at the uh the hollywood square sort of uh, faces <laughs> staring back at me and and as i looked i, I could see the the little bald head of a baby poking up <laughs> from the bottom <laughs> where- where somebody had their baby in their arms and that's that's fine that's okay i mean you know as long as you can handle that but the more you can uh design a a place if you if you're able to you can design a place that's designated for work um that's a good thing Uh, that's one that's one thing about coming to work is you know you're there for work and uh you have fewer distractions and so if you can have a place if you're fortunate enough to have a place where you can retreat 
then uh, then that's a that's a good tip as well. And certainly, yes, dress the part. I, I, I agree with that. I'm glad to see that the bar has got that uh, uh, outreach going to uh, I certainly if a, a litigant uh, is on the phone, I, I, I hope that lawyers uh, would um, the litigant wants to see their lawyer um, dressed appropriately, I believe. Or turn your camera off <laughs> if you're in your pajamas. <laughs> um, so there are any number of studies that uh, discuss the benefits of working from home and that a lot of times staff uh, sees an increase in productivity. However, those studies weren't conducted during a pandemic um, mm-hmm. where we've had to share office space with spouses, with kids, uh, with dogs and cats. Um, you know, so it's a little bit different. Have you found, you know, generally that attorneys appearing before the court yourself or, or anyone you work with, that they're more productive now? Or is has there been a slump in productivity? And then now eventually people get used to it. What, what has been the trend? What I have heard from many attorneys is that they, um, quite frankly, they, I've heard that they love it for the time savings. Um, and I have found that in addition to saving travel time, uh, there is an element of a more succinct presentation that comes with doing it through a, a video type link. Um, so I have gotten very positive feedback and I, I believe that, um, productivity can be improved, but you do lose the human element. And in fact, I was listening to the, um, the gentleman that won the NASCAR race on the news. And he said that NASCAR is, uh, is a team sport. And uh, so is judging, by the way. There's a lot of people behind the judge that make mm-hmm. this all happen. And he said that his team members who prepare the car and prepare him are now wearing masks and protective equipment. He said he missed seeing their faces. And, and I do, too. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, humans communicate a great deal through facial expressions and through proximity, and we are perceptive of many things through our physical presence with another human. And we're going to miss that. Uh, and I hope that it won't go away completely, that we will still have that uh, human aspect to our proceedings when we can. So we said you are already comfortable with technology. Um, have you, are you, I assume that you wear your robe for all of your conferences because like like you said, I think if nine people are in, I think it's the Brady Bunch and then you're right. If there's 25 people in, it looks like Hollywood Squares. Depending on how old you are, those references make sense. Um, <laughs> I would assume that you have to wear your robe so when somebody's looking at 25 people, they know that when you're talking that you're the judge in the proceeding. But have you had to um, adjust to this because... It, when you were doing the one-on-one first appearances, it's just you in that little room and the camera, and then they bring, you know, the person that's uh, being arraigned, you know, right up to the camera. Are you having to like, have you found your most flattering zoom angle and background? What is your setup now for these? 
Well, my setup is rudimentary. Our, our setups depend a lot on budget. Uh, you can set up a Zoom conference or, or any video conference, Zoom, uh, Microsoft Teams, whatever, uh, just with nothing more than an iPhone or, or I should say mobile phone. Um, but you also can set up a Zoom room. And our court technology people have set up Zoom rooms, and those are very uh, nice. Uh, they, they're uh, reliable, and they uh, have good audio and video. And but they cost some money to set up. And uh, in fact, one of the things that we've been doing is uh, the trial court budget commission uh, is uh, purchasing uh, licenses for these things. And they do cost money. Um, and yes, I'm going to wear the robe. Uh, I want people to I'm going to give them the full judicial experience. I, I wear the robe. I, I think it is important still to retain some of the formality and, and we in the legal profession have certainly been good about paying homage to our uh, ancient uh, traditions and professions. No wig, but the robe <laughs> I'll keep. And um, so I believe that is important, but one thing that I believe is critical to the success of these things is training and experience. Um, Training certainly. If you if you go into this without training, then it could be a frustrating experience, uh, not just for you but for all the participants. I think we we all have been doing conference calls for a long time, and we all know about the dog barking in the background or uh, the person who fails to mute their blind uh, or you know somebody dropping off those all those various little. Uh, annoyances that come with conference mm -hmm. calls now are magnified because you're, you're not only listening, but you're looking at people as well. So the Florida bar has for quite some time now had this technology requirement. So all attorneys have to meet uh, a certain CLE requirement uh, in technology. Uh, however, we still get calls all the time of attorneys that have never used Word or, you know, can't set up their email. Um, so despite them having that requirement, they've still not been pushed until now. Um, mm -hmm. We've all been forced into a more tech savvy world. Um, and I just from you, I know my my answer to this, but could this be a positive uh, that comes from all of this, uh, you know, COVID-19 situation and will some courts retain uh, some of these new virtual platforms going forward or is it just a temporary sort of fix to uh, the way we do business? Well, I'm glad you asked about that because I was on uh, John Stewart's committee that came up with the technology requirement for the Florida bar. This was a long time ago. And of course he's uh, now president of the Florida bar. And it's been my pleasure to be associated with him on various technology initiatives uh, over many years now. And yes, that technology requirement is, is uh, I think has helped prepare us for this. And I do believe that some of the modalities that we are seeing put in place now will certainly persist. Um, as I mentioned in one of the meetings the other day, I said, well, uh, I know of many judges who have uh, tried this video hearing platform and they've developed a taste for it. And they're not going to want to see it go away even after the 
crisis goes away. I believe we'll see a mix of uh, in-person and video and where it makes sense to do something by video, we'll be able to do that and save some people some money, save some lawyers some time, save some litigants some travel expenses. For example, even in a criminal situation, uh, one of the one of the big cost savers for everyone has always been a plea in absentia, whereby a, a plea is entered remotely in writing and is uh, sent to the court. Well. We we take uh, some pleas by video now, so maybe we will be able to do that. And so, as these things these things will be good for the the taxpayers because it'll save money. It'll be good for, uh, like I said, the lawyers and the litigants because it'll save time and money. And for a lawyer, time is money. And so, yes, these things I believe will persist, and I I do I'm optimistic that they will persist in an appropriate mix uh, as we go forward of uh, human and remote, human face-to-face and remote uh, appearances. It looks like we've reached the end of our segment. Thank you, Judge Robert Hilliard, for joining us today. It has been my pleasure. Uh, Thank you for the opportunity to appear with you, and I look forward to chatting with you all again soon. Uh, If our listeners have questions, uh, where can they find more information about the work of the Florida Courts Technology Commission? You can go to the uh, Supreme Court's website, and uh, they have links to the Florida Courts Technology Commission uh, and uh, the Trial Court Budget Commission as well. These are commissions uh, authorized and created by the Florida Supreme Court. Uh, You can look at uh, minutes of the meetings online and... uh, and uh, mission statements and upcoming meetings, which will not be in person. (laughs) There'll be remote meetings for the foreseeable future. So today we are discussing the working from home trend that many workers have been thrust into for the first time because of the pandemic. Telecommuting, as it is also known, has been around for a while, especially in the tech world, but current circumstances have set in motion what Wired Magazine calls an unprecedented experiment in remote work. The article references a survey from the Society for Human Resource Management in March that found that two-thirds of U.S. companies were taking steps to allow employees to work from home who normally don't do so. Joining us to discuss this is Rebecca Bandy. Rebecca is the director of the Florida Bar's Henry Latimer Center for Professionalism. She joined the bar as the assistant director in March of 2017. Rebecca earned her JD from the FSU College of Law and previously practiced as a family and criminal law attorney in Tallahassee. Welcome to the show, Rebecca. Glad to be here. Good morning. So, Rebecca, can you talk a little bit about the role your department at the bar is playing in assisting attorneys and judges with maintaining professionalism during this time when most are working from home and appearing virtually? Absolutely. So we've actually been quite busy. Um, We promote professionalism. That's why we were created by order of the Supreme Court in the 90s. And our job is to make sure that everyone is uh, being 
professional as they practice law throughout the state of Florida and, and for our Florida attorneys elsewhere in the nation. And very early on in this pandemic, there was an article that came out of Miami, and basically a judge uh, was writing um, chiding attorneys for unprofessional behavior, uh, such as showing up undressed or in bathing suits on Zoom calls, during uh, Zoom proceedings, um, walking around their houses uh, while they're talking, or even some were driving trying to do Zoom meetings. And I, um, of course, was called in immediately to help (laughs) do something. (laughs) I was like, oh, ouch. So um, I actually contacted one of the committees, the bar committees that I had, which is the Standing Committee on Professionalism, uh, specifically targeting some of my judges uh, who are members to say, hey, what's going on? What are you seeing? Is this real? Is this just happening in, you know, in this one area? And I um, received quite a bit of feedback, most of, most of the same, in the same arena um, in terms of people taking for granted that, you know, they still have to look professional even from home and they have to be professional even from home if for no other reason than to give um, credibility to their case, um, to support their clients' cases, but also to make things run smoothly with minimal distractions. And so we actually put together a quick guide, uh, which we put on our website, um, the Florida Bar website under Center for Professionalism, with tips and articles to help people navigate this new area of practice in law remotely. And we are presently updating our um, a document that we've had for about five years, um, which is a guideline. It's an, an e-guide to communication, virtual communication. And we had updated it actually in December, um, but we are in the process of adding a, an additional section to that document, which talks um, about the importance of professionalism um, during Zoom or other remote uh, hearings and also in your interaction with clients and addresses things like privacy and confidentiality and distractions and how to navigate uh, Zoom and other online platforms. Uh, we're working with our communication department to finalize that and it will also be handy hopefully very soon. Excellent. So let's let's delve into that a little bit. You you just mentioned all the resources your department has, but there's one in specific that deals with uh, those attorneys appearing in their bathing suits and pajamas and walking around their houses, and it's titled Legal Professionalism in the Electronic Age. Can yes. you tell us a little bit about this document? Yeah, so that's the first document I referenced, and basically as soon as that article came out from the judge in Miami, And I received fast feedback from my own judges saying, okay, we're seeing some of this. Here here are the worst things that we're seeing. These things need to be addressed. Um, My assistant director and I started doing research, and we put together that guide as sort of a handy um, quick tip sort of format that people can pull up, they can go through it uh, quickly, but it's organized very succinct and we have lots of um, links to other articles that are very helpful. And that was our goal. We wanted it to be an attractive document that we can send out easily via email, but that attorneys can Google, pull it up, and then they have it. And it's it's simple, stupid. Um, 
to use that expression, because it just it goes through the very basic it, basics. It assumes that you know we're all struggling with learning this new realm of, of virtual law, if you will. Um, I was just talking to a coworker this morning who's in the office with me, and I said, "Do you know how to do a virtual background on Zoom?" And he was like, "No." And he's like, "I really want to learn, but I don't know how to even start." Mm-hmm. So I walked him through the quick steps of doing that. And it's, it's very simple. Um, I think we're a little intimidated with the new technology, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, some of us, I know I was. Uh, Zoom, I'm always super self-conscious when I see myself on the screen in virtual meetings. Um, so that guide is intended for that pur- purpose. It gives very practical, user-friendly, simple steps to making sure that, you know, you are doing things in a way that um, you'd be proud of down the road and that other people mm-hmm. can commend you for. And, and it should be noted that there's special considerations for attorneys, but also special considerations for judges. Absolutely. Um, it, I mean, it's just, it seems like common sense, like you said, but it, honestly, it's stuff that needs to be put down in writing for people to actually realize like, oh, maybe I should start my Zoom call, you know, a little bit before just in case there are technical issues or schedule uh, emails before uh, a conference call or a hearing. Don't just start a random Zoom call. So there's very helpful tips. And again, the title of that is Legal Professionalism in the Electronic Age. Yeah. And it, and same, it's simple stuff that, you know, if you're on computers and you're using this stuff all the time, it's sort of second nature. Mm-hmm. Um, to be honest, my kids who are 10 and 11 can jump right on. And for my daughter was doing a Zoom meeting. She's 10. And um, for an extracurricular activity she does. And she was on there and she had the settings all amped up and she had changed her <laughs> name on the profile and she was doing all this amazing stuff. They're on that type of um, technology more frequently than most of us are. And it's not so second nature to some of us. Mm -hmm. And it's a matter of just breathing, having confidence, knowing that we're all in the same boat. I actually live out in the country north of Tallahassee, and my Wi-Fi is not the best. So I have learned that if I need to be on a Zoom call or a Zoom conference or um, a conference call, you know, anything where I'm using my computer, my kids who are home now, um, you know, we're doing the homeschooling things, they have to come off of their other devices. Mm -hmm. Even if they're doing it for school, I have to say, okay, mommy has to work now please take a break. You have to come off the Wi-Fi. Otherwise, I come across very choppy. My bandwidth is Mm -hmm. um, not good. So it's little things like that that we're figuring out as we go. Um, I was actually on a Zoom call with um, uh, some individuals last week and quite frankly got dropped from it. Um, And I had a moment of panic and then I realized, you know what, I can't help this. I immediately emailed them to let them know what happened um, and to explain my situation and that I would follow up, you know, later. And everyone understood. Um, I just I didn't just disappear on them. And it's just having respect and etiquette for other people and understanding Mm -hmm. we're all in this together. And I like that you're covering some of the common sense part of it and giving them some tech tips because a lot of people's um, exposure to Zoom before had been attending large 
uh, like CLE, CLE webinars. And so when you would click into Zoom, nobody saw you. You just, and we've been doing those for years. So um, our, our CLEs, you click on it and all you see is the presenter or you see the presenters, um, they're sharing their computer screen and their, their PowerPoint. So I think I'm hoping that those attorneys thought when they were clicking into those early hearings, when we first went into this current period, that they thought no one was going to see them. I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt on that one. Um, and when right, we, we talked, <laughs> but when we, it's funny because when we talked to Judge Hilliard um, for, on this for the same podcast, he was talking about how there's so many, he had one hearing with 20 people in it. So he was already always wearing his robe, but now it's when you have that many people on the screen to let people know that he is the judge, he need, you need a visual indicator of who it is. So if you have nine oh, people. That's a wonderful like, point. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And use your real name uh, on your <laughs> Zoom. Not, a, not your, don't. yes, yes. Not another kind of made up acronym or, or, or name. You don't um, want your judge to, to address you by your nickname or your screen name or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Use your real name. <laughs> yeah. So I, it's really important that I've been able to reach out to my judges um, because the other part of it that we're really digging into with updating our e-document is making sure we cover things like how to present evidence, um, how to put mm-hmm. evidence on the record. Um, you know, I'm, I have been a practicing attorney in my day and evidence can be tricky um, for everyone, but how do you do it during an electronic hearing? I can't give advice on that because I'm not actively practicing. So it's been very, very great to have the resources of our active bar members, our committee members who are saying, okay, this is what we're doing. This is what has worked. This is what has not worked. Um, Several of them share documents, which they send out to um, attorneys who have cases in front of them. I actually contacted one of the local magistrates here in Tallahassee, uh, Magistrate Wall, um, to say, you know, what's working for you? Because I know that she was handling quite a few, um, a, a pretty heavy course load, rather, of caseload, rather, of family law cases. You know, those those are stressful, you know, to say to her, hey, what's working? You know, mm-hmm. what are you doing with evidence? You know, what procedures are you using? And so just being able to ask those questions and to understand that some things aren't going to work, we're learning, we can make corrections, we can try to do things better. Um, I think that's so important to get real life feedback. I agree. And like, so our team, I feel like we were fortunate. We've made some shifts with technology, but we already had some things in place. So we have a daily morning video meeting. We use Microsoft Teams. That's been seamless. Um, We continue to communicate throughout the day with the chat feature in Teams. And we're fortunate that we've been able to continue communicating with bar members. So we have live chat, our email, of course. We use Google Voice um, since we're not in the office to call people back. Can you tell our listeners how you feel technology is helping or hindering the productivity for your team? Are you guys like operating on the same level? Have you, have you figured out how to do it? Or, you know, what's going on with you and what's working? We're actually being very productive. And <laughs> unfortunately, it was, uh, it was from the beginning with that uh, news article coming out. We really had to say, wow, okay, we need to focus on this. We need to get some information together. This is an exciting time for us. Um, so we've stayed really busy. There's only three of us on staff um, in the Center for Professionalism. So I referenced my assistant director, Katie Young, uh, earlier, and then we have a program coordinator, Beth Kirkland. We work closely together anyway. We're a really close-knit team. Um, and so we do more simple uh, group text 
Um, we stay in, in contact with, with each other through that, through FaceTime meetings daily. Um, but we also, you know, emails, calls, just saying, hey, um, you know, what are you working on? What do we need to work on? Let's, you know, go through our calendar, uh, that sort of thing. I know um, MS Teams works wonderful, uh, wonderfully, so that's another great resource. But for us, because a lot of what we do involves putting together uh, workshops and um, meetings and speeches and presentations and webinars. Uh, we've also been very active with that because that's so much of what we do. We're a very creative group, and I'm a firm believer that structure kills creativity. So what I've found, and I know what my team has, has shared with me, is that we're actually a little bit more productive and creative outside of the four walls of the office than we are under normal circumstances because Something's flowing, you know, with us right now, and I love the energy of it. And so we've all enjoyed it. Katie's a, a mom, a single mom, just like I am, and um, we've enjoyed the flexibility of it while still being productive. That's excellent. And it's funny that you say that, that you're being even more productive because um, back in the old days before the pandemic, which seems like long ago, um, People would say, I've got this huge case coming up. I'm going to go work from home because I got to get away from these distractions. So we were doing that already. Yeah. yeah. And so I think it's I, it's changed some people's opinions. Some people were like, no one is ever going to telecommute at my place. And now we're seeing some of the tech companies that are saying, um, this is going so well. If you don't want to come back, don't even come back. And like they're giving them um, stipends to order more comfortable chairs and those kind of things, because it is it is. No distractions and just being able to quietly think and work things out is good. Even with the distractions of my kids with homeschooling, you know, that's had its, its own difficulties. Um, but what I find and what I know is that a lot of the stress in my personal life is trying to stay on a schedule. And, and I feel like a taxi driver a lot of days. And so my mornings a lot of times were super chaotic. I would get up and I'm a morning person. That's when I'm most productive. That's where my creativity is. Love to get up and have hot tea and go for a walk and uh, watch the sunrise. And man, my brain just flows. That's me personally. Um, but what happens in the quote unquote normal, you know, routine, normal world is that I was getting up, rushing, getting my kids ready. I'm getting ready. We're in a car. I'm having to get them to school by a certain time. I'm in traffic for 45 minutes, heavy, stressful traffic. By the time I would get to the office, you know, I felt like I needed to meditate and just really unwind to even get started on work. And I've lost all that valuable time. So what I do now at home is I really take advantage of the mornings. My kids sleep later. Um, and so I get up. I do all the things that I love to do. I get a, a pile of work done by, you know, 10 o'clock. I have been just flowing and getting stuff out. And it's wonderful. Then I can focus on my kids while they're doing their school stuff. And then we spend the afternoon playing or going for, going for uh, long walks. We've gone to a couple of really nice parks um, while socially distancing, but just getting out, getting that fresh air, the exercise. I've actually slimmed down because I'm active, more active than I am sitting at a Good desk for you. all day. Wow. So it's not because I'm, I'm not doing anything magically. I'm not even focusing on it, but it's just because I'm being more active um, with them and with my 
pets. And, um, and so then once, you know, dinner's done and they're settled in, my, my kids are settled in, I'm able to pick work back up again. And of course I check in, you know, throughout the day, but to me as a mom, this is invaluable time. This is time that I know I will never get back with them again. Um, it's time when normally I'm shuffling here, there and everywhere, stressed out, you know, overextended. Um, and it's been really nice to just breathe and play and rest and read and um, get projects done that I've wanted to do that, frankly, I don't have time to do when I'm at the office distracted and phones are ringing and people are popping in and, and that sort of thing. Well, I'm glad, like us, that you are enjoying this time. Um, but for some, it has not been so great. So Stanford economist Richard Bloom, who's widely known for his research showing the benefits of working from home, recently listed four drawbacks or four factors to this new ad hoc setup that was prompted by the pandemic. Um, and those are children also at home, which, again, normally, if you normally work from home, your kids are at school or you have right. some kind of child care setup. Uh, no dedicated workspace. There's a lot of people working from their kitchen counters, from their bedrooms, you know, on their sofas. Oh, um, dining so that's room an issue. table for me. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Uh, lack of privacy. So that kind of goes hand in hand. You don't have a dedicated workspace. Your kids are home. Your spouse is home boom, you have no privacy. And then the lack of choice. So traditionally, working from home offers this great flexibility. If you have to go into the office for those critical face-to-face -face meetings, you can do that. This situation has made it so that there is no choice. You just have to be home. Mm -hmm. So so a lot of people internally, even here at the bar, we're seeing that. So like us, there's some people that love working from home. Okay, they, they absolutely love telecommuting, but there's others that can't wait to get back into the office. Um, and we know from all the research that has been done from working from home, some of which we'll leave here, um, having a routine has been uh, found to be positive for your mood, for your mental health, and for your productivity. So what are some tips, you've already given us some, but what are some other tips um, that our listeners can put into practice to successfully work from home, but also for our managers, being that you are a manager and you do have staff, how do you keep them focused and motivated in spite of these challenges? Those are great questions. So our program coordinator, um, Beth Kirkland, who is phenomenal, super creative person. Um, she is a rock star, but she has shared with us over and over again, she's really struggling. She actually wrote an article um, that was published by the Florida Bar News talking about um, quarantine and how difficult it was for her um, because she is single and she's young. She's used to having her friends around all the time and she's super extroverted. So she loves being at work. She loves interacting and talking to people. Being at home in her apartment alone was a huge struggle. She really um, was dealing with some loneliness issues. She got down um, a couple of times and I'm sharing this um, openly because she wrote about it and is uh, very honest about it. Her article is so, so good. So please take a look at that if you can. But it's been hard for her. So what I've done with her is just check in with her constantly. We already do it as a team, but I check in with her, you know, as much as I can. Um, I have socially distanced um, and, you know, taking meals to her um, while socially distancing and checked in with her, you know, that way um, she celebrated a birthday. And so our, I made sure that other staff, 
you know, that she works closely with at the bar, touched base with her and um, let her know that they were thinking a couple sent food and flowers over to her house. So that she still feels like she's part of a bigger team and that she hasn't lost her network. Um, that's super important. Oh my gosh, the kids being at home, I'm a former educator, so you would think that I would be a rock star at homeschooling. No. <laughs> <laughs> We've had more battles than I like to think about and um, lots of long walks taken by me blaring, you know, music in my ears to de-stress. So it's not been the most great, graceful time, but, you know, again, you have to look at the positives, I think. Um and I have my moments. I definitely have my moments where I get down. And at that point, I make sure to reach out to other people and say, you know, how's it going for you? What are you doing? What's working for you? So communication is a key. Um, spending time at outdoors is so important. I've mentioned that several times. Um, you know, scheduling work when you're most productive. For me, that's the mornings. For other people, it's at night. For Beth and Katie both. Um, you know, late afternoons or night works best for them. And as a manager, it's important to understand your people mm -hmm. um, and understand what their work styles are and to respect that, but also to give them enough time so that they can utilize that. Um, I, if I know that they're afternoon or night workers, I can't give them something, you know, at five o'clock and say, get this done right now. They need some time to think and to process and they need to have that on their calendar. So I think that's important. Um, you know, making sure you understand the limitations of your devices, making sure that you're comfortable with your devices is super important. Um, for me, it's important that I get up and get dressed. I'm sort of old fashioned in that, you know, I feel like I need to get up and fix my hair and put on a little makeup <laughs> and I feel naked unless I have lipstick on um, because I had a grandmother who was like, don't go out without lipstick. So, you know, if I'm really feeling down, I've got to get up and I've got to at least put myself together somewhat so that I feel normal again. Um, and then eliminating distractions, like you mentioned, is super important. Um, I actually have a desk area, an office area in my house, but I live in an old 100-year-old farmhouse. And that particular area has no electrical outlets in it. So <laughs> I um, have had to move my office area to my dining room and um, I'm able to shut the door and, and say to my kids, stay out. You know, you have mm -hmm. to stay out. The pets have to stay out. You know, even if that means putting the dog outside for a little while um, so that I can get stuff done. And it's a work in progress, but, you know, the kids finally kind of get it. Like they understand, okay, mom's working, leave her alone. Um, that took a, a while, but it's the simple things like that. I know that, you know, some of our staff don't have laptops or didn't have laptops before this happened. And so, um, my supervisor is busy trying to accommodate those kind of issues. Um, but, you know, we're all in it. We're all dealing with these. And that's something I had a call with an ABA committee that I'm on pretty early in this whole process. And many of the people in that committee are in Chicago or New York City or Pennsylvania. And it was interesting that, you know, this is a very high powered group and they were dealing with the same issues. Mm -hmm. One of them had a newborn baby crying, you know, in the next room. And the other one was dealing with a dog barking. And I thought, well, there you go. We're human. So it, it's important to keep that in mind. And I, you've touched on some of the things 
um, that I wanted to ask you in my next question, because when we're talking about telecommuting, this is not normal telecommuting. There's two things going no. on here. You're telecommuting with a pandemic. So mm-hmm. when we're mm-hmm. so a lot of what we're talking about, I feel like you almost have to pull them apart, even though you can't actually pull them apart. Mm-hmm. And it's been really stressful, not because of the telecommuting necessarily, um, but because people are worried about the health of their family members, dealing with possible job loss, like you said, having to homeschool their children while they're also working. They feel isolated. Um, and I know that you personally have a lot of training and you do a lot of training at the bar around all around the state. And you talk about things like emotional intelligence, gratitude, and you know mental health topics. What are some healthy ways that people from home can manage their stress and fear, this other thing that's overlaying our working from home? Oh, that's such a good question. Thank you for asking it. So gratitude is huge. Um, To be joyful, you have to lean into gratitude. And I'm sort of paraphrasing Dr. Brene Brown on that one. Um, But it's so important that you have a gratitude practice. So it's not just an attitude of gratitude. It's a gratitude practice and that you understand that you can be grateful even during hard times, that you can find things to be grateful for, understanding that these hard times are going to happen but they're not going to last forever. And so you can be joyful. And so for me, I get up, um, I'm, you know, a spiritual person. So when I'm having my hot tea on the porch, I'm usually doing my scripture reading or praying, um, you know, meditating, whatever your beliefs are. Um, and, and then I take time to journal. Uh, journaling is a really good way that you can get your thoughts out on paper and then reflect. So when you journal, try to journal about things you're grateful for. I encourage people to list three things they're grateful for each day and why. Three different things um, and why. So you're processing it. And you can do this in the morning. You can do this while you're brushing your teeth. If you don't want to write it out, you can do it at night before bed to calm your nervous system to um, help you sleep a little better. Um, and then write by hand because when you journal, it really needs to be something that you're doing physically with your body, um, and then always go back and reflect over what you have read, and you'll be astounded by how much you're learning about yourself and about what you have. So that's one thing. Gratitude is super, super important. Um, The second thing that I'm really concerned about is loneliness. There was an article, there was some research done, I think it was in 2017, that called being a lawyer the loneliest profession in America. And then the ABA followed up with that by with an article by Gina Cho, who I love her work. She does a lot of work about um, anxiety in the practice of law. She actually spoke at our Florida Bar Convention a mm-hmm. couple years ago, um, the Judicial Luncheon. And she's just, her work is fabulous. I follow her closely. But she wrote an article saying that loneliness is the number one health and wellness issue facing attorneys. Um, that seems a little strange to people when they hear that because they're like, oh, loneliness, you know, that, I don't know. People don't take that word or that concept. There's shame attached to it. Um, but the reality is being lonely has dire health consequences. Um, it's tied to early death. It's as tied or more to early death than heavy smoking, heavy drinking, obesity, tons and tons of research on this. I often refer people to a UK organization called the Campaign to End Loneliness. Um, 
excuse me, the Campaign to End Loneliness, um, which is fabulous. They have wonderful research and articles and videos that I just love. Uh, their social media is incredible. But the statistics, if you start digging into it, are just mind-boggling. Um, we really have a problem with loneliness in this profession. That's before the pandemic. So with people isolated, even with their families, you can be with people you love and still feel lonely. Mm-hmm. Um, but people like Beth that I mentioned earlier, um, she's single. She lives alone. It's just her in an apartment. That's a whole lot for anyone to have to deal with. Um, and so it's very important that we are able to understand what we're feeling to recognize, you know, why we're feeling it, um, and to connect with other people in some way. I know here at the bar for uh, Staff Appreciation Week, we did a lot of virtual things where we shared virtual photos of our kids and what our kids thought we did, you know, in our profession. And they were really funny and cute, and the pictures were amazing. We had a day where we shared pictures of our pets and where we shared pictures of our workspaces and. That is so simple to do, and and it just, for me, meant the world because it made me feel connected to other humans, to other people, people that I love. I felt more connected through that process than I sometimes do sitting in my office at work where I don't see everybody every day. You know, I may see people once or twice a week in passing in an elevator, so to be able to connect via Zoom and play bingo or to have a virtual, you know, happy hour, that gave me a glimpse into people's lives, personal, their personal lives that I don't normally get. And I really, really was grateful for that. And it made me feel connected. And so it's important that you check on your people, even if they're not immediately your people, check on them, check on the people that work on your floor, check on the, the maintenance staff, make sure everybody is okay. Send letters, send uh, text messages, send cards. All of that cultivates gratitude as well. So super important. Thank you for that. And I think the overarching theme here is to stay connected, to you know, practice self-care, and, and make sure that you don't let everything just drop off just because you're working from home. So that's incredibly important. Um, but kind of shifting a little bit, but on the same topic, of course, we did a previous podcast on millennials. Actually, Christine did it because I, the millennial, was out sick. Uh, so that was unfortunate. Um, but our guest talked about wanting to achieve a work-life blend rather than a work-life balance because the two are never really separate and that it shouldn't be a battle between them in your life. Um, do you think the blurring the barrier between home and work can be positive? And what has been your experience? And you kind of touched upon this, but we want to really focus on it now. Oh, I love that. I love the term blending. I like that. I'm going to steal that. Um, I think it's super um, important to blend it. I have really loved that we are not compartmentalized, that things are starting to shift so that there is that blend so that I can be open and honest with people and my coworkers and get glimpses into their lives and vice versa. Um, a few weeks ago, I had to have a conversation with my own supervisor to say, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do about childcare. I had anxiety about childcare. I typically use summer camps uh, through our school system that are, have been canceled. Many of the other alternatives have been canceled this summer. And I had a couple of days where I was super anxious, super panicked because the perfectionist in me, right, that 
type A attorney was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I have no idea what I'm going to do. And there is this shame attached to that, right? We have to be perfectionists in this profession. I can't say to her that I have no childcare and no family to help back up, you know? So it really was a vulnerable position I was in. And I felt very alone in that, but I reached out to her and said, you know, here's where I'm at. I don't know what I'm going to do. And she was so kind and so wonderful about saying, it's okay. You're not alone. You know, we respect what you do at the bar. We respect your work. We know your kids are your priority. That's how it should be. It's all going to work out. And I was able to breathe that sigh of relief. And I thought, wow, two months ago, I would have never had that conversation with her because it was not something that would have been professional to do, right? You don't bring your personal life to work. And when I said that to her, she said, those days are gone. The lines are now blurred. And you know what? It's a good thing that they're blurred. That's an example of, you know, where it's important to say, what are your needs? How are you functioning? How can we help you? Because if things aren't going good at home, things aren't going to go well with your work right? Or if things aren't well at home, you're going to overperform at work, trying to cope, use it as a coping mechanism. And that's not necessarily healthy as, you know, either. Um, And so I really appreciated that. And I'm really trying to do that with my own staff to make sure that their needs are met. It's like the Maslow hierarchy of needs. You know, if your basic needs aren't met, you're not going to be at your optimal performance level. And And I so believe that. So love the idea of blending. Um, I think that in terms of our home life, you know, a lot of times, you know, there may be a little bit of inequity and which person in a home does more for the kids. Sometimes it's the dad, sometimes it's the mom, you know, who's the one that always takes the kids to the doctor's appointments. Um, You know, there are, I think I read a statistic that showed that a quarter um, of the homes in America are led by single parents, Um, you know, that may be off a little bit. That's my recollection. And so this is all kind of bringing all of this to light so that we get a glimpse of how much everyone does and how hard it is and that we need a support system to stay balanced. So if our listeners take anything away from this podcast, it's really to be flexible and understanding know that working from home may not work for you, but it works incredibly well for other people. Um, So again, just be flexible, try and accommodate people, um, at least in the times and the months uh, after this is over, I guess, officially, whether or not that will happen, who knows. Um, But but be flexible, communicate with your people, make sure you are hearing them out. um, And, and, you know, stay connected. Yes. Mm -hmm. Have an open mind. Yeah. And find those moments of joy. Yeah. I love that. Uh, Everything you said, Rebecca, was so valuable. I really appreciate that. Um, I am enjoying my work-life blend. If you're talking to me on the phone on a work call, I may be watering my new vegetable garden that I started on the patio. I love that. um, I'm bird watching. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Yeah. I think we're all getting new skills. And it's funny to me that we're learning more about each other's life when we have to be in our own home separated. So a lot of good is coming from this, the new knowledge of technology that we've all been forced into, um, good things even during the stressful times. 
Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I actually took a, a class in undergraduate school on ornithology, which is bird watching, and um, it was not my favorite class. And it's so <laughs> funny now because I sit on my porch swing for hours watching the birds and you know, documenting them and, pe- you know, taking pictures. And I'm like, who am I? But it's so <laughs> calming and peaceful. <laughs> That's wonderful. Well, it looks like we've reached the end of our segment. Thank you, Rebecca Bandy, for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Uh, if you are interested in seeing some of the resources that Rebecca mentioned, you can go to the Florida Bar org website and uh, pull up the Henry Lattimore Center for Professionalism to find those documents with all those tips. And if you are one of those people that's struggling and is having a lot of stress and anxiety during this time, um, we want you to know that the Florida Bar is, is trying to provide resources for that. And we have our new mental health helpline. So you can call. It's completely confidential. It is 833-FL1WELL, which is 833 833- Three five one nine three five five. So please take advantage of that. Today, we're discussing the working from home trend that many workers have been thrust into for the first time because of the pandemic. Telecommuting, as it is also known, has been around for quite a while, especially in the tech world. But current circumstances have set in motion what Wired Magazine calls an unprecedented experiment in remote work. Uh, The article references a survey from the Society for Human Resource Management in March that found that two-thirds of U.S. companies were taking steps to allow employees to work from home who don't normally do so. And our next guest, Jack Newton, who needs no introduction for those of us in the legal tech world. But if you're not part of the legal tech tribe, you should know that Jack is the co-founder and CEO of Clio, the most widely used cloud-based practice management system in the world, and it's also a Florida Bar member benefit. Jack has spearheaded efforts to educate the legal community on the security, ethics, and privacy issues surrounding cloud computing, and has become a nationally recognized writer and speaker on these topics. Jack also co-founded and is president of the Legal Cloud Computing Association. He was named a 2019 fellow to the College of Law Practice Management. He sits on the board of Ross Intelligence, which is also a Florida Bar member benefit. And he is the author of the best-selling must-read, The Client-Centered Law Firm. Welcome to the show, Jack. Thanks for having me. So, Jack, can you give our non-legal tech listeners a brief background about Clio, your role, and how it's grown to be so much more than just a tech company. Yeah, absolutely. We were founded back in 2008, uh, which is over 12 years ago now. And when we launched in 2008, we were the first cloud-based practice management system uh, in the world. And that was that was back in the times where you needed to spend the first couple of minutes explaining what Clio was, explaining what the cloud is, this this concept that do. your your data is, <laughs> and, and you still do, uh, certainly. But I, I think the, the conversation is, uh, is shifting and the conversation is getting more sophisticated. And I think if there's anything COVID-19 has accelerated, I think it's the, the awareness of, you know, what the cloud is and why it's so integral from a business continuity perspective. But uh, back in those days, Clio was, uh, like I said, the very first cloud-based uh, practice management platform. 
And over the course of the last 12 years, we've grown to become, uh, as you pointed out in, in the intro, uh, the world's most widely used practice management platform of any kind, whether uh, it's on-premise or, or cloud-based. And I think to your question around how we evolved to be more than, quote-unquote, just a, a legal technology company, you know, it was, it was probably around five or six years ago that I realized that uh, what our customers were looking for and and maybe even what the industry more broadly was looking for was a real partner to explore and realize what the future of the delivery of legal services could look like. So a more collaborative relationship than what a typical technology vendor relationship might look like and a more thought leadership e relationship as well where you know, they, people, thought leaders in the industry, uh, some of our most uh, leading edge customers were, were looking to us to not only implement what they viewed as the future of legal looked like, but to partner with them in co-creating what that looked like. And, and I, I really think that's what the last five or six years of Clio's trajectory has looked like. And one of the reasons we we founded the the Clio Cloud Conference, for example, which has become uh, Legal's best and most widely attended conference. And I, I hope we will return uh, at some point back to uh, the point where we can we can hold large, wonderful conferences uh, in person like that. Um, we uh, it's one of the reasons I wrote my book, The Client Centered Law Firm, which was really a distillation of you know, my 12 years in, in the legal industry and, and working with some of the very best firms and, and helping them think about how to deliver client-centered legal services. So, so that briefly is the, the, the Clio story and, and how we've come to where we are today as, uh, you know, I, I think one of the, the real technology platforms, one of the true technology platforms that the, the very best law firms in the industry are uh, are leveraging to deliver better experiences to their clients and to del- deliver better internal productivity. And I think it's important to note for our listeners, like, when you go on Clio's website, you're not just signing up for practice management software. There's a wealth of resources on there um, that are all practice management related, all sorts of topics. And today, of course, we're going to cover uh, the current situation and the COVID-19 response um, so can you tell us a little bit about Clio's response, uh, the resources that you've compiled? I know there's a specific web page um, that, that Clio has put together for lawyers working from home. And there's also the COVID-19 Legal Re- Relief Initiative. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so in the intro, you, you commented on the fact that tech, the technology world has embraced uh, distributed work and, and working from home. Uh, maybe a little bit earlier than the the legal industry has. So when COVID-19 arrived, one of the first places our attention went to was how can we help our customers navigate this this crisis? And, and to give you a bit of context in terms of what the, the story looks like from the Clio side, on Friday, March 13th, we made the decision to send our entire team home uh, and that's a 500-person worldwide team. We're, we're headquartered here in Vancouver, BC. Uh, we've got a large office in Toronto, Ontario. Uh, we have an office in LA, 
uh, and we have uh, an office in Calgary, Alberta, and uh, our international office in Dublin, Ireland. So that meant sending 500 of our, our worldwide team home and shuttering our, our five worldwide offices. Uh, and that, that's still the case today, uh, over, over two months later. And when we, when we look at the, the, how that looked at Clio, one thing that I was really happily surprised by was how seamless that transition was. So the, the week of March 16th, where we were leaning into this completely new world where everybody was work from home, everybody was distributed. And, and while we did have uh, a portion of our employees that worked from home previous to the COVID-19 crisis, uh, for most employees, this was uh, an entirely new world. And, and as many people are, people were perched on kitchen tables and uh, running video conferences from their bed. And what I was amazed by was how seamless this was because we drink our own champagne, so to speak, and, and are entirely cloud-based, our entire platform that we run Clio on all the way from our customer support hotlines to uh, our software development tooling, our cloud-based tools, we didn't miss a beat. Everybody was able to go go and work from home and we were able to answer customer calls. We were able to ship product. We were able to do uh, Zoom meetings to collaborate and it all worked really, really well. So as you know, really once we had shifted Clio's work fit, workforce to work from home, our immediate attention turned to our customers and we, we asked ourselves the question, how can we help our customers navigate this crisis. And we really saw two things that we, we had to deploy into uh, the, the market to help it navigate this, this crisis. One was financial resources. Clio's in the enviable position of having you know, a real war chest. We last year raised uh, the largest investment round in legal history with a $250 million Series D um, and and we we looked at this opportunity as a real opportunity to to repay our customers and the larger industry for all the great things they've done for us over the last 12 years. Uh, so we, we wanted to make financial resources available and initially earmarked a million dollars that we would deploy into a COVID-19 relief initiative. So the financial resources was one part of the equation. And the second part of the equation was was expertise. How can we teach lawyers how uh, they can work from home effectively, how they can run a distributed team, how they can leverage cloud-based tools to deliver experiences to their clients and continue to deliver legal services to their clients. Really, it was a multi-pronged investment uh, of both financial resources and expertise and know-how and free programming in the form of webinars uh, and so on to help the the industry navigate COVID nineteen, and and those resources, by the way, are available on Clio's website. Uh, if you go to Clio.com, uh, you'll be able to easily navigate to our COVID nineteen related resources, uh, as well as access information about our uh, our relief initiative. Um, and another example of a resource that we launched is. A hotline. So uh, we launched a hotline to help lawyers navigate all aspects of the COVID-19 crisis, including uh, the the CARES Act and uh, how they might be able to apply for PPP, for example. And we've enlisted uh, experts that have helped 
our customers and even non-customers apply for a PPP, and we've had a success rate of over 75% in, in doing that. That's wonderful. And I'm, I can't help but be curious. So you said you sent your 500 employees home on March 13th. Like at the bar, we all got sent home on March 19th. Um, and at that time, um, in our world, there wasn't a lot of telecommuting. It was That was pretty rare. But since you're a tech company, what was the situation? Did you have some people that were already doing some telecommuting? Um, and then, so, and I know everyone's home now. Has the process, because it's been so seamless, Have has it caused you to kind of an analyze what it's going to look like on the other side of this. Will you all go back? So can you talk about that, what, what your employees are doing? Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. So we've seen, number one, uh, about 5 to 10% of our workforce work from home or work in a distributed way prior to COVID-19. So we would, you know, our, our policy has always been we'll bring the best talent on board uh, at Clio. And if that means hiring a world-class developer in St. John's, Newfoundland, uh, we'll do that. And in fact, that's something uh, we did just uh, a few months ago. Uh, it, when we hire people in one of our cities where we have an office, like Vancouver, Calgary, Toronto, Dublin, or LA, uh, we will usually encourage employees to, to come to the office. Because one of the, the real tenets that, that, that we, we held previously was that the best work happens in person and, and truly collaborative work. I always think about the, the kind of prototypical, you know, meeting around a whiteboard and jamming on an idea and having the ability to read body language and collaborate in person and the, the true creative process of building great products and getting to great decisions and so on, you know, really needed to happen per, in person. So it's one of the reasons we invested in, in creating really great workplaces for our employees and, and really great environments for them to do uh, what we describe as the best work of their their careers. That's the kind of environment we, we try to set up. Um, I, I think what this crisis has opened my eyes to is that uh, we're actually working more effectively than we have ever really over the course of the last two and a half months that we've been work from home and we're uh, shipping product at a higher velocity than uh, I've ever seen. We're delivering our metrics across the board are through the roof. So we're actually uh, all time new customer records, all time high net promoter scores, all time highs customer satisfaction for support. You know, there's, there's not a metric in the company that hasn't seen a significant uptick in the last two and a half months, both internal facing in terms of employee sentiment, as well as external facing with respect to revenue performance and customer satisfaction and all the other metrics that we, we measure uh, the company performance at. So it's, it's actually been a very eye-opening experience for for me, and, and one of the themes we talk about a lot with COVID-19 is how it's accelerating trends that were already underway. And I think in the technology world, uh, we're going to see a lot more work from home. You, you pointed out the, the Wired article, and I do think we're, we're seeing a seismic shift and a permanent shift where many organizations will not return to any sense of, of normalcy when it comes to how work gets done. And the uh, the number of Silicon Valley companies ranging from Facebook to Twitter to Google, 
uh, have have recently announced that they're dramatically changing their work from home policies, or in fact, mm-hmm. saying that they're never returning to work as Twitter did just a couple of weeks mm-hmm. ago. Last week, Shopify, uh, which is actually one of Canada's highest profile technology companies, um, recently announced that they are moving to what they describe as distributed first uh, or distributed by default, uh, meaning that uh, the idea of an office uh, is changing. One of the, the tweets I saw a week or two ago that really resonated with me is this idea that on-sites will be the new off-site. You know, the idea that you'll go into the office for a very specific purpose, but otherwise work from home by default. And I think that that is the the new world where we'll be entering uh, on the technology world, um, at least for the short term. I, I do believe that there's many companies and organizations maybe overestimating their ability to move to a work from home model because of the inertia that they had built up around working in person and the trust that they had built and the the relationships they had built and even the the plans that had been established thanks to an in-person work environment were all really cemented prior to COVID-19 hitting. And even two and a half months in, I think there's many organizations that are coasting thanks to that, that momentum and, and coasting is, is, is maybe the wrong connotation, but there's th- that momentum that was established thanks to the, the pre COVID-19 work that was done on building trust and relationships. And I think what will be very interesting new territory for organizations to chart is how do you hire and onboard new employees in a distributed work from home world? How do you, uh, build trust with them? How do you build culture in a distributed environment? And uh, I, I believe there's ways to solve those problems, but I think those are some of the places that, uh, you know, there will be a lot of organizational learning over the next uh, the next months and, and years in, in what that looks like and how to do it at a really high level. Well, one, I'm glad to hear Cleo's doing great. Um, and two, you mentioned metrics and, and how you've seen just really great numbers within Clio. Um, and, and, but at the same time, we've seen maybe not so great numbers in the legal industry, at least to a certain extent. There's been some furloughs, some layoffs. Thankfully, we've seen a slowdown as of late. Um, but needless to say, n- the next legal trends report is going to be maybe slightly different um, than it has been in the past. And for our listeners who are not familiar with it, every year Clio publishes its legal trends report, which provides in-depth analysis on the business of law. So Clio is uniquely positioned to gather real-time data on how this pandemic is affecting the legal community. And it's in fact published initial findings in what they've titled COVID-19 Impact Research Briefing, um, which we'll of course link to, but we can't possibly get through every piece of data because this is a very limited short segment and it is a very interesting piece. So we'll link to it, read it. But essentially, the analysis will hopefully help law firms better understand the impacts of how um, and how to adapt and respond to these unprecedented challenges. So again, for the sake of our listeners, can you tell us a little bit about the source information, explain how our listeners or to our listeners, how Clio has undertaken this research and how the data was collected and from Absolutely. So as as you pointed out, we've now published for four years the Legal Trends Report, which is 
you know, really, I, I think one of the the benchmark reports in in legal now that gives a, a perspective and gives an annual lens into how is legal doing and and what are some of the uh, the important trends to take note of and what are some of the benchmarks that we see across the nation with respect to um, hourly rate and key performance indicators like utilization rate and realization rate and collection rate. And increasingly over the last couple of years, we've we've added to the Legal Trends Report to talk about um, consumer sentiment and lawyer sentiment. So in addition to a quantitative analysis of anonymized and aggregated data from, from Clio, where we're able to uh, analyze an anonymized and aggregated data set based on the activities of uh, tens of thousands of law firms on Clio. We've also performed large at-scale surveys to assess customer sentiment and lawyer sentiment. And for example, last year explored how there's, in some cases, a huge divide between what lawyers believe consumer preferences are and what those actual consumer preferences are. And we looked to the COVID-19 crisis and realized there was an enormous opportunity to deliver that same kind of perspective to the legal industry uh, on a on a real time basis, and and let the industry know what is going on with uh, with the industry at a macro level. And I was actually inspired by OpenTable, who actually published uh, uh, a state of the industry report for restaurants. And and in the early days of the COVID nineteen crisis, what OpenTable had was reservation data for the hundreds of thousands of restaurants on the open table platform and you could actually look at the reservation data on open table as a proxy for how our populations in specific geographies uh, both at the city level as well as the state level responding to the COVID-19 crisis and it was this almost real-time dashboard of of the shutdown as as it progressed and and I realized we we have the same opportunity to uh, again on an anonymized and aggregated basis uh, deliver these these insights to the legal profession in terms of what the impacts have been uh, on the on the legal industry. So uh, again, this is a free report that's available on our website. Uh, you just need to to go to Clio.com and you'll be able to easily navigate to what is described as the COVID-19 impact research briefing. Uh, we published the first briefing on May 4th, and we'll be publishing another briefing in June and plan to do this on a monthly basis all the way up to our October launch of the full Legal Trends Report. And, you know, some, some of the headlines from, uh, from the report are that uh, new legal matter creation has dropped by nearly 40% over the course of time between uh, late January and mid-April. So we've seen a real slowdown in matter creation, which again is a, a leading indicator for, uh, for many important law firm metrics like, like revenue, um, new matter creation, uh, is of course linked to new legal work, which is then linked to new billings, which is eventually linked to new collections. And uh, we are uh, tracking this data in real time. So in June, we'll be able to provide an update in terms of where we've seen a, uh, potentially a slight recovery, what this data looks like on a state-by-state -state basis, 
and also which practice areas have been impacted. So there's some practice areas like bankruptcy, for example, that are unsurprisingly seeing uh, a huge surge. Uh, I believe another interesting data point from the report that, that's worth sharing uh, is that 13% of consumer respondents indicated that they felt they had a COVID-19 legal issue that needs addressed. And uh, I think there will be a, a whole new area of, of law practice focused around COVID-19 and the legal needs that, that arise from COVID-19 related uh, issues. I think the, the, the final consumer facing data point that, that is worth uh, highlighting maybe at a high level uh, is that 49% of consumers agree that they would put off a legal issue and a large majority indicated that they uh, would have difficulty paying for a legal issue today. So I think the, the silver lining what, that we're seeing in some of the data at least is that many of these legal issues are being deferred but not canceled. So uh, I believe we'll see as the recovery starts to take place, uh, a backlog of legal issues start to hit the industry and hopefully a uh, a really significant recovery in um, uh, a really significant recovery in terms of uh, legal issue creation, and and one highlight from the lawyer facing part of the survey that I think is is worth discussing only because it may highlight uh, some of the fantastic resources the Florida Bar makes available uh, is that the. Uh, that lawyers are are struggling with some of the mental health impacts from COVID-19, as I think so many of us are. So 75% of legal professionals surveyed in this COVID-19 study said they're experiencing more stress uh, and anxiety as a result of the COVID-19 outbreak, uh, and that they are more concerned about their financial future than they are about their, their health. So some, some concerning data points uh, from a, a mental health perspective, from a financial health perspective, and I, I think an important call out to you know, always keep in mind that there's health resources available. There's, there's really great resources available through, uh, through the Florida Bar and national level resources that are available for, for lawyers that are struggling. And that, that did come through really clearly in the data. I'm glad you bring that up. It's really valuable information you're gathering. Um, and so obviously, you know, the downturn um, in the billing and the, you know, the profit area is causing a lot, of, a lot of stress. And so the Florida Bar, you're right, we've been working on this issue for a while. And it's long been said that a good lawyer is a healthy lawyer. Um, so even before COVID-19, the National Task Force had published the Path to Lawyer Wellbeing Report, and it noted that the profession um, kind of culturally had turned a blind eye to widespread health problems, in part because of the belief that it would harm uh, a lawyer's professional or financial success. Can you talk about how addressing and even promoting lawyer well-being uh, can actually be good for business, even during slow business periods like the COVID-19 pandemic? Well, I, I, I think there's actually, it, it's a great time to think about how do you focus on your, your health and how do you focus on maybe making some of the improvements to your law firm that can help you achieve longer term satisfaction and longer term happiness. Um, there's, there's often, I think, a mentality in, in law firms uh, and, and lawyers in general that 
we're, we're too busy to implement a technology solution where we're, we're moving too fast to, to slow down and, and do that. You, you can't change the, the wheels on a moving car, that kind of, kind of mentality. And, and I, I think the truth is that in many cases, for businesses of all types, law firms are just, just one, you, you need to slow down to speed up sometimes. And, and that means making deliberate investments in technology and tools to, uh, to help you run more efficiently and to help you deliver better experiences to your clients. And that can be hard when that when when things are are busy and it means maybe temporarily turning away some business or temporarily uh, taking a bit longer to respond to uh, to a legal issue for for a client. But when there's this externality that is COVID nineteen that has caused a slowdown, whether we want it or not, this is a great time to invest in personal well being, and it's a great time to invest in uh, in, in the well-being of your technology stack as well. So on the physical well-being, there's so much data that shows that mental health is closely linked to physical well-being. So this means going out and uh, getting on a bike, going for a walk, getting, getting the exercise in maybe that your normal daily routine doesn't afford. Um, lawyers have, uh, documented, uh, uh, problems relative to the average population and even relative to other professionals with substance abuse. So this could mean, you know, take, take advantage of the fact that you don't have those fancy client dinners or painful networking functions to attend um, and, and maybe don't need the lubricant of a, a alcohol, for example, to, to help navigate that. Take, take advantage and maybe, uh, you know, back off on, on substances that might be helping you get through the normally stressful periods. And, and again, the, I think the risk that COVID-19 presents is, as, as our data shows, anxiety around fi- financial well-being and anxiety around uh, uh, the crisis as a whole can actually compound existing problems really badly. So if you already have a substance abuse problem, it's very easy for that to go from maybe a mild problem to a severe problem. Um, so thinking about how, how do you take advantage of this crisis and try to layer in some new habits and new routines um, and, and really focus on physical health is, is I think, uh, a really important priority. The, the second thing I'll comment on is, is more on the how your law firm runs and, and how you embrace technology and how you uh, are delivering legal services to your client. I, I think the unbelievable silver lining that COVID-19 presents, the, the golden opportunity here is permission to experiment. And I, I think what is so exciting about the, the, the period of time that we're in right now is that we've got, as a profession, permission to experiment in a way that we've, we've never had ever, probably in the, 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 the profession's history. And clients are more willing than ever to try new things. And in fact, that's another interesting data point that came through in our data where uh, a a strong majority of clients indicated that they are more willing than ever to experiment with new technologies to that they're comfortable using tools like video conferencing. And we're seeing the same in, in, in lawyers where they're commenting on the fact that they're more comfortable using new technologies and, and trying new things and, 
experimenting with uh, with new technologies. So the the opportunity here is to retool your law firm and to think about how do you deliver legal services in a completely different way over the course of the COVID-19 crisis. And I, I think, again, what's very exciting is that many of these changes will persist beyond the immediate COVID-19 pandemic. So we, we have an opportunity to redesign how our law firms work and to the extent that we can find new business models that work, new technology, new technologies that we can use to make our law firms run, and maybe new ways that we can work. Uh, I, I've talked to many lawyers over the course of the last two and a half months, as well as many clients that have commented on both sides. I'm happier uh, and more satisfied mm-hmm. in the work I'm doing from home. I feel more connected to uh, my family, I, I feel uh, more connected to my clients. And then on the client side, this is very interesting. I've heard uh, very positive things as well. Uh, my lawyer is more responsive than they've ever been. Um, I find that they're easier to access because they're in fewer meetings and they're traveling less. And um, I, I also find, and I think this was a really interesting comment, I've heard it used a few times. I've, I've found my lawyer to be more human and, and I like that. And it's these glimpses into uh, each other's personal lives that I think is, is creating a stronger emotional connection and creating empathy on both sides where we see our, each other's houses and our, our kids wander into our Zoom mm-hmm. meetings and uh, we're getting this personal connection that, that doesn't exist, uh, you know, when you're in the the fancy downtown uh, marble-lined office space that that many law firms have, and uh, you know, I one one comment that I think was especially powerful was, um, you know, from a, a client commenting on the fact that he said, "I hope that my law firm," and this was a this was a large national law firm that he worked uh, that that he was a client of. Uh, I hope my law firm never goes back to the old way of doing things. I'm getting better. Uh, service from my lawyers uh, in the work from home situation. They're more responsive. I, I love the fact that it's a, a more personal connection. And, and by the way, uh, I, I hope they give up their million dollar a year lease in downtown San Francisco <laughs> um, and pass those savings on to me because there's no reason to have this uh, artwork lined high end AAA office space uh, in, in an expensive downtown uh, locale. You can deliver legal services from from anywhere that you have a, a high speed internet connection. So uh, one way I've I've framed the the COVID nineteen pandemic is is as a, a bit of a crucible where we're seeing I think five to ten years of change and and in fact I I now realize that's maybe an underestimate. I think we're actually seeing what might be decades worth of transformation, uh, especially when you factor in what's starting to, ha- starting to happen with the courts. We're seeing decades worth of transformation um, compressed into months. And for the lawyers that can figure out how to navigate that opportunity and, and how to be agile to adapt to this new reality, there is an unbelievable amount of opportunity ahead. And conversely, I think for the lawyers that think that we can go back to uh, an old normal that looks or a new normal that looks a lot like the old normal. Um, I, I believe those will be the firms that really struggle on the other other side of this because consumer expectations have 
have shifted really dramatically and worker expectations have shifted really dramatically. And, and it'll be the, uh, the firms and the businesses more broadly that adapt to this new reality that, that I believe will really thrive through the pandemic and come out stronger than when they entered it. I love that you mentioned all of those things because it's a good segue into talking about your book. So an overarching theme is, you know, between the book, the Clio's research on COVID-19 and our discussion here today is that there's a gap between law firms and their clients and COVID-19, if there's any silver lining to it, at least in the legal profession, uh, it's that this gap is maybe getting smaller, um, even if it's, you know, people are being forced to, you know, implement all these uh, new processes within their law firms. But can you discuss your book? What is a client-centered law firm? What does it look like? What are some main points that, it, you know, if, if you were selling, I already read the book, but if you were selling it to me, what would you what would <laughs> sure. you tell me are, are the main takeaways from the book? So, so the main takeaways of the book is really, um, I, I think, a very clear message that the opportunity that, that exists out there for law firms is to redefine how they design and deliver their legal services uh, in a in a client-centered way. And being client-centered does not mean putting your clients first. And this is one of the most important points I make in the book, because that suggests that something else is coming second and another thing is coming third. And we're not we're not trading off here. What we're doing is actually designing legal services in a way that Everything your firm does, everything from intake to the way you deliver your legal services to, uh, you know, even the billing and the ongoing relationship that you you maintain with a customer orbits around the customer's needs and has deep empathy for their broader situation and set of circumstances. And, and, and law firms that think in this way actually have an unbelievable opportunity to tap into uh, what what I describe as the latent legal market in in the book and this is the notion that was you know first introduced by by Richard Susskind uh, but the fundamental idea here is that there is an enormous opportunity to deliver legal services to more consumers that need help with their legal issue. And the opportunity for the legal industry is an enormous one. When we look at the World Justice Project data that shows that 77% of consumers that had legal issues uh, did not have a lawyer help them resolve those legal issues. When you think about the, the demand side of legal services being so enormous, uh, and then you look at the the supply side, the lawyers that can actually solve those legal problems that consumers have. Um, our, our legal trends report shows that the vast majority of lawyers uh, need more clients and need more work to to be financially successful. So the the supply side is saying we need more clients, and the demand side is saying we we need lawyers to help us solve these legal problems. Uh, that suggests what I described in the book that that is a product market fit problem, which is a well uh, popularized notion in startup land and, and technology companies. And the basic idea is that uh, if your product is, is well designed for the market it's trying to serve, there's certain metrics that you can look at to, to indicate that there's product market fit. 
And when you look at the legal market data, when you look at the World Justice Project data, you look at the legal trends report data, it's really clear that there's poor product market fit between lawyers and the way they deliver legal services, which I would argue are largely uh, and historically lawyer-centered in the way those legal services have been conceived and delivered. Even something as foundational as the billable hour model, uh, I believe, is, is heavily lawyer-centered and not client-centered. If, if you shift that, that, that thinking to a client-centered one, we can start to unlock this latent legal market. And, and that opportunity is one that is in the hundreds of billions, if not trillions of dollars in opportunity. The, the annual legal spend in the U.S. is $450 billion a year. Uh, and that's with just the 23% of legal needs that are being met by lawyers. So there is an opportunity to unlock a huge portion of the market to increase access to justice to make clients happier uh, and more successful and to make lawyers happier and more successful. And uh, I guess the pitch for the book is, doesn't that sound amazing? And I believe that the client-centered thinking is really at the heart of, of realizing that win-win-win scenario. And I'd like to just for the sake of our listeners, again, because I've read the book, and if you haven't, you should, um, but you discuss the five values of a client-centered law firm. And I just want our listeners, you know, just to give them a, a little bite. You know, one of them is to develop deep client empathy. Another one is to practice attentiveness. And another one is to generate ease with communication. All of these things are, it can be implemented really easy, really quickly, reaching out to clients, you know, asking them how they are, non-business related questions, um, and, and, and listen to your clients. I mean, don't just expect them to come to you with a legal problem and you come solve it. They need someone to talk to you at this time. So, so those are really important. And I, and I love that you touched upon those in, in the book because they are more important now than ever. So thank you for that. Um, Last question, I promise we won't keep you on much longer, um, but in the book you offer a lot of very practical, techie, low-tech, no-tech solutions or action items, as I noted them in the book, um, for lawyers to implement to improve the client experience and, and create efficiencies ultimately. What are some really quick solutions that can be implemented while working from home? Uh, I, I think for one, uh, is a client portal. Uh, the idea that you've got a secure portal for collaborating and communicating with your clients to send them your work products securely, to ask them questions and have a centralized location for all of your communications with a client. You can also send them invoices through a client portal uh, and, and get electronic payment for, uh, for, those, uh, for those invoices as well. Um, so this is secure, which is important. It's encrypted end-to-end, -end, uh, which uh, is superior to something like email, for example. It is private, meaning that uh, somebody has to log in to access those communications. And you don't need to worry about um, confidential data being exposed through, for example, a, a shared email account. Especially in this uh, work-from-home world, we, we see a lot of shared computers and um, people seeing emails and other communications that maybe they shouldn't. So a client portal can help make sure that the intended recipient is the only one looking at that data. Um, it also really helps with uh, law firm communications where you have a centralized location to see all the communications your law firm has had with a client. And you don't need to think about, oh, what, what emails have my partners or my support staff sent to a, a client in the last few uh, days or a few weeks. You can see all of that in one location and have a centralized view of your 
your client communication. So I think that's one. Uh, another is such an easy solve, uh, but that is allowing for electronic payments, uh, specifically credit card payments. You will get paid faster uh, in the COVID-19 era. This may mean you will get paid, period. Um, and, and use the flexibility that, that some tools like uh, Clio afford in offering things like payment plans and installment plans where you can, if your client, for example, can't pay the $500 for the legal services you delivered up front, um, you can say, let's, let's do a, a staged uh, installment plan and I'll, I'll accept $500 payments for you over the course of the next five months. And you'll get paid over time, which is better than not getting paid at all. I've talked to so many law firms that have massively reduced their AR um, by taking this kind of approach to their uh, their receivables. And, and clients, by the way, will really appreciate the flexibility that you're affording them when cash flow is uh, is a crunch for for many other for for many uh, clients and, and many law firms alike. So this can help smooth things out uh, on on both ends. And the client portals, by the way, those are. Uh, Clio has a, a built-in client portal that's quite powerful, um, and and many of our competitors do as well. So when you're shopping for a practice management solution, if you don't have one already, get one and get one that looks that has an integrated uh, an integrated uh, client portal because those are more important than ever. And and my final tech tip is maybe look at. Uh, uh, synchronous communication tool like Slack or Microsoft Teams to uh, enable stronger communication in a distributed work environment. Email really starts to break down when you have a lot of people working from home and start having email chains with, uh, with too many people on them. And I think we've all experienced that pain. Something like Slack, something like Microsoft Teams, uh, it's a, an entirely different way of communicating, but it's actually, you know, very powerful once you uh, embrace the the new paradigm that that those tools present. Uh, and and Microsoft Teams in particular is, I think, well suited for uh, for law firms and uh, is included with Office 365. So many law firms may be surprised that they already have access to uh, Microsoft Teams and just need to deploy it to their their teams. I completely agree. We love the client portals and we have been using our teams um, nonstop since we all relocated to our home offices. Such valuable information. Thank you, Jack Newton, for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It was a great conversation. If our listeners want to learn a little bit more about you, uh, your book and Clio, where can they follow you or find that information? Uh, you can follow me at Jack underscore Newton on Twitter, and you can uh, always email me. I'm happy to hear from anyone that has feedback or a question from this podcast. Drop me a line at Jack at Clio.com. Uh, and finally, all the resources I've talked about from COVID-19 relief to the legal trends report uh, to the COVID-19 briefing is available on Clio.com. And I just want to make sure that our listeners know those resources are available for everyone. They're accessible. You know, they're not behind a wall. So go to Clio.com right. and check those out. That's right. Everything is free of charge and uh, available at CLIO.com as well. I'll make sure we get the spelling in there. 
And we'll post that all these resources under the podcast if you're listening at our LegalFuel.com website. So this whole episode, we're talking about the science of working from home. And I think some people were really ready to go. They had a really good setup. And others, we've heard from our guests that they're suddenly at their dining room tables and they're just having to, you know, work with what they've got. Um, So Carla and I have talked before about uh, ergonomics in the workplace, but I didn't think we'd have to be talking about it at home. But I found this excellent article. It's called The Seven Things You Need for an Ergonomic Workstation. And experts agree that an ergonomic workstation, one that supports your body in a neutral position, can reduce the risk of discomfort or pain that these stresses um, cause. So if your neck is bent down or your back is contorted... um, you're going to start to develop some pain. So we want to help you with some tips on your home workstation, how you set it up. So Carla, what are you doing at home? How are you set up? So I should preface this by saying I am five foot nothing. Uh, The world (laughs) is not built for short people. I can assure you that. Um, So I have to really put time into thinking about a comfortable chair. I can't just pick out any chair, order it online and say, this will do. I actually Mm -hmm. have to sit in it because sometimes the seats are too long. So my feet don't reach the floor. um, Mm -hmm. And the, the lumbar section of it maybe is meant for a taller person. And so it actually, it's like between my shoulders, essentially. Um, so it, it's really important to get a comfortable chair that fits you, not just the highest rated chair on Amazon or on officedepot.com or staples.com. You, you want to make sure it's one that fits you. So check out your the return policies. If you do order online, I know we're all stuck ordering online now, but check out the return policies and don't just deal with it because you got it and it's already at your house. If this is going to be a long-term setup, long-term setup for you, or, or if it's something that you want to have at your home, make sure a comfortable chair is, is your, one of your top considerations. And so uh, I read in the article that a standard desk is built for someone who is 5'10". How tall are you, Carla? Again, five foot nothing, <laughs> four eleven and a half on a good day. Um, okay, but not everyone can afford to get another chair. So I know that they, they said that like some desks have the keyboard thing, but if your feet don't reach the ground or you can't just go out and buy an expensive new chair, what are some things that you know you, you can so also do? So I have a completely separate lumbar pillow. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I could probably link to it from my Amazon that you just, it has a little clip on the back. You slide it onto your chair and you can, depending on how tall you are, you can adjust it accordingly. That's one tip. Another tip I've found is to remove the arms from my chairs. I know a lot of people walk into my office and think it's weird that I have one arm, you know, and not <laughs> the other. Um, but I want to fit comfortably below my desk. And sometimes depending on the desk and the chair, combo, that's not a viable option. So know that most chairs have removable arms. And Mm -hmm. you also want to try and get a chair that perhaps adjusts. So the more adjustments, the better. It may seem complicated, but I promise you won't regret it. And and as far as the desk goes, um, you know, if you have to adjust the height of your computer, um, Mm -hmm. you know, anything, if, if you need to prop some books up, that's not recommended. But you know, make sure that your desk is at a proper level to where you're sitting up straight. Um, and, and again, it's, it's a matter of testing it out. So if, if you find a desk that's just too big or too small for you, then return it. 
Yes. And you can even, depending on how long you, we don't know how long this is going to last. You're going to be at home for a while. So there's some very good tips in here. The height adjustable desks, there's a link to that in the, in the article. I've seen those at Ikea. So maybe you love your chair, but it's not working with your dining room table, but you do have a little corner. I love how they have something for every space. Um, what is your lighting situation? What are you finding? So I, as you know, I get migraines. I, I mm -hmm. do not like fluorescent lighting and, and generally overhead lighting. It just hits my eyeballs the wrong way and it is a quick migraine trigger. So I have a lot of task lighting um, and that's, that's my setup. That's important to me. And again, it, it has to be how you are comfortable. If at the end of the day, you have this horrible bulb um, over your head and you find yourself fatigued and tired as a result of lighting, well, that's an easy change. Change your lighting. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting in this article, it talks about how um, if I'm hunched over at a laptop at work, I have the dual monitor set up and I can slide them up and down. But it was interesting that um, the article was talking about whether you're typing on your keyboard or then you're using your mouse that actually, um, depending on what you're doing, you may need to adjust the height of your keyboard. So an adjustable keyboard. Also, I didn't think about this. I have one of those at work. I have the uh, keyboard that has the little legs that flip out on the yeah, back. Yeah, flip your and keyboard said, over. It said, never use those. That puts your wrists in the wrong position. Your wrists are angled up. You want them to angle down. But it, it depends. So like maybe you have, you already have a wrist rest. Um, mm -hmm. So if you flip it up, it may, it may still angle down again. There's no one size fits all. So I know a lot of times you, you go to work and you're like, well, this is what my boss gave me. I'm stuck with it. Um, and and that's, not, that's not good for your overall mental health, physical health. Um, mm -hmm. So again, no one size fits all. It, it has to feel comfortable to you because what feels comfortable to five foot nothing me is certainly not going mm -hmm. to be comfortable for Christine, who is a, you know, average sized woman, I think you're. You're tall. I'm, above, I'm, I'm, I'm tall. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to put it out there. You're pretty tall. <laughs> uh, and we talk a lot. So in this episode, we talk about stress and anxiety. So we don't want one of the sources of your stress to be your home workplace. So some of the things that um, are touched on in this article, please take a look at it. We're posting it um, where it tells you about the neutral position and how to measure if, if you're sitting in the right position. But it also talks about some important things. And we talked about this when we were still at work. Um, get yourself some noise canceling headphones to drown out annoying sounds, especially if you don't kids. have yeah, I'll if you say have it. kids. I'll say it. I'll say it. I mean, it's it's just if kids are always going to come first. If your kids, you know, talking to you, however nonsensical it may be, you're going to pay attention to your kid rather than your work. Um, whereas maybe if they see you with headphones on, they might get a clue. And it also at the end, this is an important thing because I think we all thought this was going to last a couple of weeks and then we'd be back. Um, so we're going to be here for the long haul. So if you've got your seat in a comfortable position, maybe uh, when you're in line. Um, at Trader Joe's, grab yourself a little house plant to put on your home workstation. Uh, if you have an oil diffuser, drag it over to your home workstation. Um, go ahead and set it up like we are going to be here for a while. Or do you have any other tips, Carla? I, I can only I can only give you tips, anecdotal tips that I have found work for mm -hmm. me. And and as far as the workstation goes, a dedicated workstation for me is a must. Uh, when we first started this, I was using my laptop, and I was, you know going from the couch, you know, to the dining room table, to the desk. And, and my desk was actually upstairs. We ended up actually building a proper office area, putting together a proper office area. And it, it completely changed how my workday went. Um, so 
make it work. Even, even if it, even if it is your, your dining room table, set it up in a way, maybe reorient it in a way to where it feels more like a desk. Um, because again, it's, it's not good if, if you think if one, if you're sitting at an uncomfortable chair, um, you're not going to want to sit there. So you're not going to, it's like not wanting to go to work, Mm -hmm. even though you're home, you you don't want to go to work because you're uncomfortable all day. Yeah. And you make a good point. Having a dedicated workspace is also healthy. So when the day is over, um, if you are fortunate enough to have an area that you can close the door on that space, yes. or you just know that that's the place where you work. So, you you, you know, whatever you've set up at home. Um, and I love this point in the article. It says, most importantly, play around with your setup. Try raising or lowering your monitor, adjust your chair, alternate between sitting and standing and note how your body feels after 30 minutes or more. Like I think that's one of those mindful things when you're so busy working, you don't notice that you've now have a crick in your neck. Right. Um, so after 30 minutes, even set a, you know, set a little timer and go, okay, how am I feeling? And keep on fine tuning until they get, you get what they call the Goldilocks level of your workspace being just right. Right. When you find yourself comfortable enough to, you, you know, where you can say, oh, I, I could actually use this space going forward. That's when you found that. And, and mm-hmm. for me, that's definitely been the case ever since I've gotten all set up. So, again, no one size fits all, but, but it is something that it's important to consider because even though you may not realize how it's affecting you, um, it is. It is. Comfort and, and focus and productivity are affected by your workspace. And it's worth uh, investing a little bit of effort, maybe a little bit of money, um, because even on the other side of this, when we go back, we might all have a new blended situation where we still are doing some work from home. So go ahead and find something that works for you. If you like what you heard today, please rate us in Apple Podcasts. Join us next time for another episode of the Florida Bar Podcast, brought to you by Legal Fuel, the practice resource center of the Florida Bar. I'm Christine Bilbury. And I'm Carla Eckhart. Until next time, thank you for listening. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalFuel.com. Don't miss an episode by subscribing to the Florida Bars podcast via iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and RSS. Find the Florida Bars Practice Resource Center Legal Fuel on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by the Florida Bar. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.